Hello, I'm Rick Millenthal from the Shipyard, and welcome to Voices of Resilience. In this series, we have top thought leaders in mental health who share their personal stories that have fueled their passion to help others navigate stress, trauma, and adversity, especially in these challenging times. I am happy to have here today, Dr. Luan Fon. He's chairman of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health at The Ohio State University. He is at the forefront of the fight against depression and suicide. Luan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rick. Luan, I texted you on a Saturday morning that I wanted you on this show and talk about this issue. And in five minutes, you texted back, let's do it. Now, you have a lot on your plate, Luan. You chair a department, help run a hospital, you have your own patients. Why did you find it so important to talk about these issues now? Well, for me, uh, Rick, it was really important to respond to the emotional state that our communities were going through. We hear it in our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our colleagues at work, that everyone is in a different emotional state these last few weeks than they've ever been before. And there were a series of emotions that were just running through people. And I wanted to begin a discussion and a conversation where we were able to help people make sense of the emotions that they were feeling and also to validate those emotions. You know, Luan, that that's what motivated me as well. I'm not a medical professional like you. I'm CEO of a marketing agency called The Shipyard. And I've spent my whole career working with clients, helping them persuade people, helping them connect with people. But when this pandemic happened, well, we realized this wasn't just going to be a physical health crisis. This was going to be a mental health crisis. And we thought it was an area we could help because in mental health, words matter. Words can divide. Words can unite. Words can demoralize. And of course, words can lift people up. And when we brought our team together to discuss doing this series, our chief creative officer, Dave Sonnerman, he came up with a term that uh, you felt really captures this moment, really captures the way people feel right now. That term was emotional health, and in particular, remotion. It's a very creative, on point, genius way to describe what's going on at the moment, which is quite unique and unprecedented. Uh, it mashes two really important words together. The first is emotions. The other uh, part of that mashup word is remote. And so remote is, is an exceptionally interesting uh, word in this time, mainly because from health professionals and public policy guidance tells us to physically separate from one another, to distance ourselves from one another in order to uh, reduce the chance that we ourselves are infected by the coronavirus and reduce the chance that we infect someone else nearby with the coronavirus if we were uh, carrying the virus uh, ourselves. So this notion of physical separation equals remoteness. And one can think 
of remoteness in so many ways. Uh, remoteness, obviously, at its basic is remote in space. So you physically distance from someone else. But remote can also be in time. In other words, we're trying to always get a sense of what our future, what our new normal is going to look like in the future. And unfortunately, the future is unknown. We don't know when the scare of this virus will go away. We don't know when we'll be able to gather again. And so therefore, remoteness uh, in this regard is also remote in time. In the last piece, perhaps the most important, with the distancing, we are remote in our connection with others. The social connection, the community, the sense of gathering that we've always had at school, at work, at play, no longer uh, is the same anymore. And so the mashup of, of those two words, emotion and re remote, uh, as in emotional or remote health, is really um, uh, caught and resonated with me and, and really describes very well what uh, many Americans uh, and everyone in the world is going through right now. Yeah, that that's why I really like the term as well, emotional health. It really captures it because we're really social animals, aren't we? Absolutely. We, we, we are. Uh, it's hardwired in us to be social. We survive by being social. We use so many ways to connect with other people in order to um, not only survive, but also have a sense of identity and uh, a sense of value. And it also helps our, our, our mood. So it's really hardwired in us. It's not just an emotional thing. It's part of being a, a human being. It's a physical issue for us. Absolutely. We're born this way and we grow up this way and it's part of our, our human existence is to be social. So I've heard a lot of people describe this as grief, like something died. We're in a great tragedy when people are dying in this pandemic. Sometimes I also feel like something else died. Our, our way of life died, the way life we only had a couple weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, with the emergence of the scare of the coronavirus, the initial emotions were worry and fear and anxiety and panic. But as that sort of set in and as we began to distance ourselves from one another, another emotion emerged. And that's the emotion that you just said. It's, it's grief. And grief is a deep sorrow and a distress over loss. Typically, it's about losing one's health, dying, and or having lost someone that you loved through death. And that's, that's what we have learned to understand what grief is. But grief is really ultimately about any loss, and it's very individualized. And, and for us, like you noted, there have been so many things that, that we've lost. Of course, the most serious is, is if anyone, because of the virus, is dying or, or has lost someone to the virus and the infection. But we've lost our ability to connect with other people, or it's, it's become harder. Some people have lost their jobs. They've lost savings. Some people aren't doing what they normally do, so they, they aren't working. They're not going to school. They can't connect with friends, so they sort of lost their daily identity. Um, many people have lost the, the routine of, of every day, whether that be participating in sports, extracurricular activities, going to the gym. 
We've also lost uh, the ability to, to celebrate things like proms and graduations for young people and uh, for others, weddings, family reunions, the planned vacation we were supposed to have at spring break and this, this summer. Those are all lost. And ultimately, perhaps most pervasive is this loss of normality, the loss of what things used to be, the sense of nostalgia probably coming on to us or coming over us every day. And all those losses are beyond the loss of safety, right? So the virus itself, uh, we worried about our own physical health and our own safety and the safety of our loved ones. But because of physical distancing and social separation, we've ended up having to lose many other things as well. And these are just a few things that I think we've lost as individuals, as families, and as, as a community. All of these things, by the way, have always made us who we are. Like I said, we value them. And they are exactly what we typically rely on in times of stress and adversity. So we are, for lack of a better word, lost without them. And, and this, this virus and the social distancing is a, is a double whammy. So it's, it's not that we uh, fear and worry about being sick, but because of the distancing, we can't even use what we normally use in order to feel better anymore. So all those losses are really key. And really, really what's leading to this notion of, of deep sorrow and distress. And like I said earlier about emotional health, about being kind of far away, uh, we also have a sense of, of not just present current grief, Rick, we also have anticipatory grief. That is, we worry now, what do I still stand to lose? What can I still lose? This notion that our health a sense of normalcy, how things used to be, what will they be like in the future, that's slipping farther and farther away as no one can give us a straightforward, clear answer of when will this all end. So it's like a fear of the unknown? It's fear of the unknown. That's probably one of the most fundamental fears that we have as a human being. I imagine animals fear it too. Um, so it's not specific to us humans, but Fear of the unknown is fundamental. And in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the fear of the unknown was the unknown of whether and how one might get sick. That's, that's a, a really uh, important fear. But now uh, the fear is, is about this, these set of losses, uh, a fear of, of when will this end uh, and, and having no facts or answers back that, that leaves everything ambiguous and uncertain. And there's one clear thing, one big thing that humans hate because um, it, it, it arouses a lot of negative affect in us and a lot of distress, and that's uncertainty and ambiguity. Imagine if you had to be shocked or you had a tornado coming or um, a disaster was coming, but you didn't know when it was going to come. You don't know how long it was going to last and you don't know when it's going to end and you don't know when things will get back to normal, which is what, what we're at now. We don't have any of those answers. So what do you feel, Levon? How does this situation affect your life? I feel it uh, in, in, in so many ways. At work, like you said, I have to run a large hospital along with a, a, a great team. And we have uh, healthcare professionals taking care of people who have mental health challenges and alongside colleagues who are taking care of people who are physically ill. And for those patients and for my coworkers, 
we don't have an answer of when things will get worse. We have models that help us predict about when things will surge, which means when will people uh, are likely to get the most sick in the next couple of weeks to month. But other than that, we don't really know how long it will last. That's, that's just at work. And, and how do we explain it to our fellow colleagues in the front line taking care of patients? When will this stress at work come? They are now kind of our new first responders. Um, and, and as we know, police uh, officers and firefighters uh, endure stressors every day. And now that sort of come to the, come to the front line of the hospital. At home, uh, like with many uh, of us Americans, it's hard to explain to our kids. I have young children who, uh, one is in high school and one is in middle school. So they have a sense of what's going on. So they have the ability to appreciate this pandemic and what it is, but trying to explain to them why they can't congregate uh, with their friends, why they can't continue in track and field. Uh, why can't they do the normal activities that they normally do? It's really hard for the kids as well. And so it, it's both. This challenge happens at home and at work and with each other in our neighborhoods. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, you're at the Ohio State University, so you serve the community, but you serve a big student body. And this has to be a, a huge disruption for them right in the middle of the year with no warning, their home, their years ended, any of their activities have ended and they probably feel it and they talk to people about it. And I bet you some of the people they talk to look at them and say, why are you complaining? That's not a big deal, not compared to other things that are going on in the pandemic. And it's really not fair because for them, it's a complete disruption. And everyone's grief is their grief. So they feel it as a big crisis and, and, and they should, shouldn't they? Yeah, they do. And, and, and I think it's, it's, it's really important um, always, but certainly at this time, to encourage everyone to share their emotions, to talk about their feelings. As hard as it often is, we often hold those feelings in. But we know through research and in clinical practice that the more you, you bottle yourself up, at some point, things are just going to overflow. And it's really important to share these feelings and, and, and let uh, everyone know that the feelings that they're going through, anxiety, fear, sadness, sorrow, distress, worry, those are all normal. Those are all important feelings that, that every one of us is having. And it, it, it's really important to validate those emotions. Um, it's, it does not mean you're going crazy. It does not mean you have a mental illness. It just means that you are reflecting uh, in yourself how you feel is, is what's going on outside of you and the events that are, that are you know, happening uh, all around us. I know what you're talking about, Luan. Just a few nights ago, we had one of those office happy hours where everyone's online and the whole staff joined. It was pretty cool. And uh, at the beginning, I was going to do a toast, say something very uh, CEO-like. And I looked at the screen. I saw everybody there and I was just overwhelmed. I just, I just looked at the screen and said, 
I miss you guys. I really miss you because I just really felt it. You know, we're in a business where we all connect. We all feed off each other's energy and, and we weren't together. And I got pretty emotional about it. And then I kind of felt a little guilty because I got a great life. I'm here in this house with Karen, a great wife, great family. There's so many people around that have much, much, much bigger problems than me. So I kind of like tamped it down because I thought I don't deserve to feel this kind of loss, but it overwhelmed me. Right, right. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. This happened to be something that that you personally lost, Rick. This was most important to you, this this sense of community that you had with your work colleagues. This is uh, what's defined you all these years. I mean, this is probably what you woke up and got excited about. This is what got you throughout the day. All your creative juices, all of your product, especially the great ones, came from this creative spirit that evolved and came from people being together, sitting around a room, throwing ideas against each other, getting upset, getting happy, getting sad. These are how creative ideas happen in a setting like yours. And and to not do that in a room where you could see people and hear their voice better or look at their face because you have to do it by telephone now. It's just not the same going through video these days even, right? Because we know what it means to sit next to someone uh, because there's a vibe there. And that's, that's ultimately what you lost. At the end of the day, you should know that that's a big loss for you. I hope that you don't have any other big losses because of this pandemic, but we shouldn't compare your loss versus somebody else's loss. Um, because it's not any bigger, any smaller. It happens to be your loss. The worst loss is always your own loss, right? Um, you don't have any other frame to compare it with. So uh, that's a big loss for you, Rick. And I hear you. I hear you. I imagine that if we went and asked every single American, they would share a similar story that's just as deep and profound as a loss that they've had, and maybe more than one loss. So what you're saying is we need to embrace our loss, even if you think it's minor compared to other people. I mean, you know, millions of people are out of jobs. You know, people are hungry. You know, some have lost loved ones in this pandemic. But our loss is our loss. And so we need to embrace that. Right. We have to recognize them. Um, you know, there's this great phrase, uh, misery loves, loves uh, company. And um, if we don't recognize that we're feeling really negative, then we'll never be able to voice them. And just by verbalizing and understanding and describing, and whether through speaking or through written form, like in a journal, sharing your emotion in that way helps you feel better. They neutralize those negative emotional states. And from there, the idea is to further neutralize them by by bringing in some positive emotions to to combat against the negative ones. You know, there's always this this tension that that we have. And if we're going to be able to do well, 
we have to have as many positive emotions uh, to combat against the negative emotions that we have. But until we start naming them, labeling them, sharing them, we'll never, we'll never be able to know that we're, we're in a negative state. Okay, so you're telling us we need to be positive. And you talked about the fear of the unknown and the fear of the future. But of course, right now, we have these news reports that keep talking about this future, keeps talking about a surge is coming, keeps talking about more people are going to die, keeps talking about the, the worst is ahead of us. So how do we combat that? How would we possibly think about what's positive today? Well, I mean, I think that's one of the more practical advices that I and many others have, have tried to share, which is um, it's, it's by our nature to th- then be glued to the television or the radio because we fear we might miss some important detail, some advice uh, if we're not listening in or we'll, we'll be uh, in the dark about something. And because of that, we immerse ourselves too much in the news, too much in the story, the storyline that fluctuates so much. And so one of the practical advices that we've had uh, to give to the public is to limit the number of hours um, that you tune in to disengage from the news. That's an important thing, important thing to know because you can envelop yourself fully uh, and, and over time too much by listening too much of the news. So a lot of it's just embracing the here and now, isn't it? We have to uh, stop worrying about the distant future because we can't control the distant future. There's nothing that we can do about that future state today. And worrying about the future won't help. So one of the best strategies in mindfulness practice is to ground yourself in the here and the now. And this moment today, this afternoon, this hour, this minute is the only thing that we have control over. And certainly we have a lot more control over this moment than now and here than something much further in the future. So the more that we can ground ourselves in the here and the now, the better. That's becoming harder and harder for me. And I I bet it's becoming harder for a lot of people. I bet what you just said resonates with a lot of people. Because, you know, I lead a business, so I have to think about the future all the time. I got to think about what's next. And it's intense because you don't really know exactly what's going to happen in this world. And, and I remember I was in between all of these virtual meetings we're having, just one after another. And I had a break and I could take a walk. And there was a, there's a park right near our house. It's really beautiful. And I'm walking along. And I've got my AirPods in, so I'm talking to more people and I'm doing more meetings over the phone. And then the meeting ended, I took the AirPods, I put them in my pocket and I was walking along and suddenly I realized how quiet it was. See, I live near an airport and there was hardly any airplanes and I nearly lived near a busy road and, and there were hardly any cars. And I was walking along this creek. I've walked along this creek a thousand times it's usually kind of a muddy, danky creek. And I looked down and in Luan, it was, it was like clear. It was like I was in the Caribbean or something. The water was clear. I could hear the wind. I could hear the birds. I didn't hear many cars. There was not much clutter. And I thought to myself, just what you said, I said, 
I really need to embrace this moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, that's um, one of the key things that I think will be critical as we come up with ways to become resilient. And for us, being resilient is, is in this in this instance, being able to bounce back from the onslaughts of what the pandemic has brought to us. How can we bounce back and how can we bounce back not next month and, and next year, but how can we bounce back today? Um, if, if something's happening, either you had a, a tough call with a colleague because you just said you missed them, uh, how can we bounce back? And, and one way to bounce back is, is to really do exactly what you, you just said, which is to appreciate the moment, find meaning in the day-to-day, uh, almost find meaning in the simplest of things. And, and finding meaning uh, really means having a sense of what you're grateful for. What are your blessings and count them? How is that activity today different and new and better and would have not come uh, had it not been for this pandemic? So in other words, I would bet uh, that how busy you are from a Monday through Friday work week, you don't have an opportunity to walk into the park and look at the creek and hear the birds and look at the sky and take deep breaths along the walk and contemplate things. That's new. And that opportunity and that experience was born out of the fact that you are working from home because working uh, at the shipyard, and I know where you work, uh, it would have been hard to, to take a walk in the park uh, and, and feel and sense and hear and smell all those things that, that you had um, the pleasure of an opportunity to do be, because you were working at home. That's what I really mean. And that's what we mean when we sort of say, count your blessings, try to identify really simple things that you're grateful for uh, that you have now that you probably wouldn't have had had we not had this pandemic. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder, as bad as the situation is, could this be an opportunity that the world is taking a pause, taking a breath? And sometimes I dream that years from now, we're going to look back at this moment and say, maybe we needed that pause. I mean, it certainly doesn't feel like anything good now, obviously, but not with so much loss, loss of life loss of jobs. It, it certainly doesn't feel that way now, but but I think that it's important to think about uh, what are the positive things that we will get out of this, um, both on a small scale, both tangible and intangible and big scale. And, and you're right. Um, this does cause us all to pause. I would argue it's availed an opportunity for us to think a little bit deeper um, and perhaps to have longer spans of thinking rather than just sort of going from meeting to meeting uh, or being bombarded by, um, you know, somebody coming into your office or those kinds of things. Having these periods uh, allow us to think a little bit deeper and for a longer period of time. And in doing so, we get the, the natural opportunity to reassess. Where are we uh, now? What is most important now? What is most important here, uh, those things uh, are really, really key. Taking that stock of those things are, are, are going to be helpful for us. That's right. Those are really good thoughts. Luan, how did you get in this field? What 
motivated you to get into mental health? Well, it's, it's, um, it's a personal story for me, um, mainly because I wasn't born in this country. I was, I was born elsewhere. I was born in Vietnam towards the end of the, uh, what the Vietnamese call the American War. Uh, but we here call it the Vietnam War. And, you know, I, I grew up um, in a war-torn country and uh, much of my family were separated because they were um, excavated out of uh, Saigon at the end of the war. And many of us who stayed behind uh, had to uh, endure a lot of adversity and, and, and frank trauma in our lives. And, and sort of, I grew up as a child of, of, I would say, adversity and trauma. And certainly escaping from Vietnam as a refugee and spending time in a refugee camp for almost two years, you know, and having a, a family come to the United States quite poor and having to start all over again. Those things sort of shape your past and, and, and that, that kind of life experience sort of imbues how you think and what you end up doing and what you choose to do. And because my father is a physician, uh, I had a role model uh, in a sense of where I wanted to devote my, my life's work. But when I was a student, a medical student in Ann Arbor, working at the Ann Arbor VA as, as a young student, I, uh, I met a lot of veterans. And this was in the late 1990s. And, and these veterans in the VA hospital had served in the war that I was born in. Uh, I served in the country that I was born in uh, and knew that war intimately. For many of them, it was 25, 30 years later and yet they still had memories as if it was yesterday. And I ultimately connected with these veterans. They, they learned very quickly that I was from Vietnam. And at first, it was hard for them to connect to me because the first emotion they felt was, was deep uh, guilt and shame because of the moral injury uh, that, that they sustained uh, while at war. And now meeting uh, a student doctor who's from Vietnam sort of brought a lot of emotions inside of them. And the more I connected with them, uh, the more I sensed that this was an important thing to do in medicine, to connect with people, to give them hope, uh, like we said in the beginning of the conversation, to identify and validate feelings that they're having, to have an explanation, uh, the best explanation that we could to uh, help them understand better how they're feeling. And for me, it was an area in medicine that was not well studied, uh, that we had a lot more questions than we had answers about depression, anxiety, drug addiction. Uh, and the more questions I asked as a medical student, I, there weren't a lot of answers. And, and that sort of got under my skin, both sort of the, the sense of connecting with these veterans, but also a, a very strong passion to find more answers uh, led me into this field and, and ultimately led me to pursue a, a career in which I researched uh, a lot of these questions myself. And I took care of patients and I try to blend those two as much as possible, you know, in the last 20 some years since I chose to enter the field. Because of course, it's your personal story of how you got here today. But I also like that story because it's, it's a story about humanity, a story about all of us on this planet, all share many of the same anxieties and stress and challenges. 
we are reminded every day. You know, I, I don't think that there's been an occasion ever that has lasted this long where we turn on the news uh, or we read the paper or we're looking at a story online about the suffering that's going on, number one. And anytime we hear and see suffering, we as humans have this thing called empathy. And empathy is also a biological thing that's psychologically hardwired in us as well. We feel what they feel, not in, in, in that sense, because obviously we're not going through that suffering. Say we're not sick or we haven't endured a surge, but because we're human, we're connected to them. We want to understand what they're feeling. And the sense of empathy is, is what connects us to humankind. And when we start to hear stories about how other people are chipping in and helping out, first responders, healthcare providers, you know, the young kid in the neighborhood who's visiting the nursing home and tapping on, on windows and, and waving and saying hi, people donating medical supplies and food, uh, people volunteering and helping the elderly. All these things that are acts of kindness also connect us as humankind. This is humanity. This is humanity at our worst suffering and, and also at our best. That's perfect, Luan. Humanity at our worst suffering can also show us humanity at its best. Hmm. Dr. Luan Fon, you are amazing. That was great. And I'm so looking forward to continuing this series with others on your team. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your caring to help us all navigate this crisis and navigate our lives into the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for um, initiating and, and continuing on this really important conversation and shining a light on uh, emotional health and uh, helping our communities become more and more resilient. Well, that wraps up our first episode of Voices of Resilience, learning what fuels the passion of top thought leaders in mental health to help us navigate our lives. Voices of Resilience is a production of the shipyard. Thanks for joining us.